Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Believe in Florida Gators podcast. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. You can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. I am joined by, as announced last week, my new co-host, Brandon Carroll, who you can find at It's B. Carroll. We're here to break down uh, what happened last week up in Knoxville between Florida and Tennessee, uh, what's been happening this week, and what's certainly been a hectic uh, news cycle regarding Hurricane Ian uh, obviously, our thoughts and prayers out to everyone affected, and we'll certainly go into what's happened there and how it's affected the Gators as they prep for what will be our final topic of the day, the Eastern Washington game against the Eagles, now scheduled for this Sunday at noon in the Swamp. Brandon, thank you for joining me again. Um, definitely have a lot to cover this episode, but uh, just go ahead and say what's up to the people. Let them know what's been up this past week. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be back. Obviously, my second week as the co-host here. Um, excited to be back talking about some Florida football uh, and and kind of how that's affected this week, like you said, as the game's been moved from Saturday to Sunday. But uh, yeah, I've just kind of been, you know, it hasn't been ideal circumstances, uh, if, to put it lightly, uh, you know, with the hurricane and everything, travel back to Jacksonville to spend it with my mom and girlfriend, kind of staying hunkered down, trying to stay safe. Luckily, we didn't get uh, really any of the the bad uh, effects that it's caused elsewhere, uh, just uh, some winds and light rain um, that, you know, kind of were consistent throughout yesterday and some of this morning. It's kind of died down to just being cloudy um, as of right now, but prayers to everyone that's been affected by the hurricane. Um, you know, hopefully that uh, if you have, you know, were able to um, kind of come out on top, but if not, um, prayers for a build back um, even stronger than were before, but yeah. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, the footage coming out of the Fort Myers area uh, and south of that down uh, where the hurricane ultimately made landfall and then even up into the Orlando Lakeland area and some areas that were affected there. It's pretty brutal and it just kind of points to how big of a storm that was for there to be such significant flooding that far inland as well. Uh, certainly something that we're going to cover here pretty uh, in depth as it pertains to the Gators once we get into this thing. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors over at Bet Online. They're the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information, from live in-game betting to props and even futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, no space, 
to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. All right, um, Brandon, let's look back before we before we dive into the Hurricane Ian aspects of the Eastern Washington game on what was a, a thriller up there in Knoxville between Florida and Tennessee, um, where the Volunteers ended up walking out uh, winning 38-33. to 33, But, you know, we saw the team struggle in areas that we've seen them struggle throughout the year, particularly on defense. But I think we can walk away from that game, truthfully, you know, understanding that Tennessee was a double-digit favorite and Florida covered, uh, with a lot of positives, with a lot of areas where people should be encouraged, at least compared to the weeks prior. And and I think it ultimately starts with Anthony Richardson, uh, if that's something you want to dive right in on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, to this point this season, we haven't really seen Anthony Richardson kind of be the the you know passer that people expected him to be, obviously. Uh, he has incredible arm talent. He's, you know, uh, someone that's able to make throws from anywhere. Um, but he kind of struggled with inconsistency, um, accuracy issues, things like that. And we saw in this game him kind of take that next step as a quarterback prospect, as a, you know, the the head guy for Florida, throwing for 453 yards and two touchdowns in that game, um, and then adding two on the ground as well. So they kind of let him open back up the offense as they kind of restricted him against the likes of Kentucky and USF in weeks prior. So we kind of saw him reassume this kind of role of being the guy in that offense. And as a result, it took off to be one of the you know best passing performances for, from a Florida quarterback against an SEC opponent of all time. So it's just one of these things where you look at kind of everything that he was able to do, and it should provide promise for not just you know going forward in the next few games, but for down the stretch as Florida looks to continue um, building uh, the you know program back to its status of prominence that it once kind of realized back in the you know late 2000 uh 2000s era i should say yeah and i think you know not only did it point to anthony's potential that he does still have as a passer you know people were starting to i mean mel kuyper i believe or was it todd mcshay it's so hard to remember who's who because their analysis can both be all over the place uh but one of them said that anthony's one of his biggest followers at quarterback as a prospect after this game it doesn't make much sense to me because I think this proved what people were starting to doubt the past two weeks. The potential is there for him as a passer. Again, with that big arm, it, the ability to use his legs to benefit him as a passer, you know, against Utah, even though it wasn't a stellar line, we've said this a couple times, he was still making the right reads. He was going through progressions, showed some clutch ability uh, on crucial downs and the ability to move the offense down the field. This time we saw it truly, kind of unlock what this offense might look like in the future when those reinforcements we talked about last week, the reinforcements via recruiting, what it could look like when they get here. I mean, going, what was it again? I believe five or six on fourth downs, the the multiple tries for going for two uh, and, and the two fourth down tries on the first drive. People were starting to complain about it. And I know it sounds cliche because it's a Twitter thing when people say, you know, don't say don't um, scared money, don't make money if you don't believe in it or whatever. But I think we ultimately started to see exactly what that means as it pertains to Billy Napier leading the Gators in this past game. And it still obviously wasn't perfect. Uh, they came out with a five point loss in a game that, you know, traditionally speaking, Florida doesn't lose. But it just kind of all points back to that overarching idea that the team is not where it needs to be from a talent perspective. 
But when it gets going, we're starting to realize exactly what it can be in the future, which is it's certainly interesting to me. Yeah, I think that all of the observations at this point, now that they're very far on the outside looking in for the SEC East, need to be long term instead of short term. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, one you mentioned the one thing I want to touch on is kind of the people that were um, kind of critical of the, you know, uh two fourth down uh, calls on on the first drive and the two-point conversions and kind of Billy letting himself uh, kind of be aggressive. And scare money don't make money, but you're also going to lose money on occasion. That's just something that's going to happen if you're kind of playing to that uh, analytic-driven kind of trying to be the aggressor in that situation, which it worked well for Florida on many instances against Kentucky or against Tennessee, and it's why they were put in a situation to be able to win it at the end of the game. I think that's a big thing that you kind of look at um, for Florida. And if they don't go for those six fourth downs, they're not in a position to be able to score as many points as they did. Tennessee's probably getting the ball back with even, you know, more, the clock's not turning. Tennessee's getting the ball back, being able to have more opportunities to score. So Florida did what they needed to do just in a different way than many people expected them to go in and get it done against the volunteers. Obviously they came up short, but there should be a lot that's taken away from what Florida was able to do. Um, the running game was the aspect that we went in thinking that's going to be what they try to harp on. They're going to try to run the ball. Obviously, that wasn't working. So they had to look to Anthony Richardson and he was able to do what he had to do to keep Florida in that contest. Um, they were able to kind of come back late using that aggressive mindset. And Billy Napier was able to really, you know, see some fight from his team, which he's mentioned at multiple points this uh, this week saying that, you know, there was adversity and we were able to overcome that. And that's one thing that in this program we're trying to build toward because a lot of times you'll see a team go down on the road against the top 15 opponent and they'll roll over. Florida didn't do that. Florida continued fighting and they had an opportunity late to be able to win it. And if it wasn't for Anthony Richardson getting hit from behind on that Hail Mary attempt, who knows what could have happened, um, especially with the history of how Florida and Tennessee has gone that would not have been surprising to see Florida be able to find a way to get that Hail Mary into the end zone. So just little things like that is just kind of promising for the future of Florida and kind of the next two, three years, as you said, when they start getting that talent, those reinforcements into the program. Yeah. And if we are going to look at things short term in terms of, you know, issues that did occur in the game, obviously does end up being defensively. You know, you mentioned that you know, Richardson throwing for 453 yards against an SEC opponent is almost historic. Hendon Hooker may not have put up that type of production, but you're talking about an efficiency and a clutch performance to elevate your team to a win. I would argue that that was one of the better games I've seen from an SEC quarterback as well, going 22 of 28, 349, two touchdowns. I mean, almost an 80% completion rating. And then a guy that we know is athletic but not necessarily know him as a dynamic rusher also leads Tennessee with 112 yards on 13 carries and a score on the ground uh it was similar to the issues we saw against USF in terms of rushing defense and especially to a quarterback and then for the really the first time all year we saw the secondary start to get a bit exposed uh Brandon you can share a little bit of your analysis here but otherwise I do want to mention that this We'll kind of segue us into what will be our third topic today after we talk about the hurricane, and that is changes to Florida's depth chart and some adjustments we expect to see them making. But uh, if there's anything you want to touch on at that part, feel free to go ahead. No, I, one thing, you know, it's it's not necessarily about Florida. It's just kind of a take that I have. After watching Hendon Hooker against Florida, obviously he's had a few 
tune-up games. He had the game against Pitt to kind of get him into this contest, but he went out and he put up a very, very good performance against a Florida team that many people might not have expected to contend with Tennessee, or if they did, it was going to be, you know, along that 11-point spread. However, uh, Florida did do that, and he produced a Heisman-like performance against Florida. I don't think many people can can really argue that. Um, obviously, he put up um, near 500 yards, if not over. I can't do the math in my head right now, and that's not going to happen. I'm just not going to math. I'm sorry, near. everyone. No, near good. 500 you're yards. Good. He was one of the, you know, the he was the guy for Tennessee to be able to knock off Florida for the just the second time in, uh, you know, the last 18 matchups. So he's had that, you know, kind of billing of this guy is very good. We, he came into the contest you know, with a 37 to three inter- touchdown interception ratio. And he proved that he can take care of the ball, but he can also be Superman when you need him to. And he proved just that on Saturday. So I, I would be uh, shocked if he's not at least in the conversation going forward for Heisman contention, if he keeps this uh, kind of, you know, play up, which I wouldn't be surprised if he does, because Tennessee's offense is one of the best in the nation and it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, and it was without Cedric Tillman, too. I mean, imagine when he gets his number one playmaker back as well and what they'll be able to do. I mean, you got to view them as a, you know, we obviously see Georgia as the runaway here, but if it's the next best team, and that's usually Florida, I know it's tight between Tennessee and Kentucky, but I I like Tennessee Tennessee. at this point. I'm taking Tennessee. Um, We can move into the hurricane aspect of this. Um, I believe right now, it is just exiting, and we're recording this on Thursday night, uh, I believe just kind of exiting that south of Jacksonville area, getting over to the ocean, uh, expected to, if not already, strengthen into a Category 1 again before going up to the Carolinas. Um, Brandon, obviously, as he said, is over in that area. I've got family from there, so we're definitely wishing the best, as we saw St. Augustine, a place that we know pretty well, flooding pretty badly downtown. I know that's kind of normal for events like this, but still, you know, it kind of hits close to home. Um, and, and obviously, again, you know, down to the Fort Myers, Naples, southwest region of Florida. It's it's br- brutal to see this, especially, you know, every so often in different areas of the state. And we know that there's still a lot of damage left to be, you know, done away with to see what the what the human damage is of this and it's just we're sending our thoughts out to everyone uh, i know the program is as well um and with that we can kind of dive into what this looks like for the team they ended up sheltering on wednesday night after moving their practice up an hour uh just to let everyone kind of get in place and make sure they have their resources allocated uh they had been checking with the team throughout the week and I believe 15 or 16 at the last time they checked were kind of in that path of, you know, there could be some serious damage here. We need to help them out. And we saw that thing track through Southwest Florida into the Lakeland, into the Orlando area before getting up to that Daytona St. Augustine region. So it really was statewide. Uh, and now the Gators are kind of in that assessment mode. They had Thursday off. They're kind of seeing what the damage is and, and the first thing they're going to do is try and help the families uh, of the players in the, involved here and i think that really is a is a great use of their time i know napier said that they view it as advantageous in the sense that they can recover also focus a little bit on future game planning but they're they're certainly being proactive when it comes to helping these families involved and i'd imagine that it's going to extend into the community as well fortunately alachua county really wasn't bothered too much by the hurricane as much as it was originally projected to but 
I'm sure they'll be doing stuff across the state to to pitch in as much as they can. Absolutely. And and I think that just goes back to kind of um, Napier's uh, overall uh, scope of how to run a program. Uh, obviously, football is what he's there for. But if without the people aspect, it's, you know, you can't build a program. So just having, you know, him kind of at least, you know, back up his words, back up what he said to this point by going out and helping those that are affected and kind of trying to build back a lot of what it could have been lost through this this you know uh, natural disaster. So I think just kind of having that is a is a testament to how where this program is going, um, both from a you know standpoint of where what he's building as well as uh, kind of a testament to the guy in charge at the University of Florida and his genuine care for the players and the families and you know the the just really everyone that surrounds the uh, Florida you know Gainesville area as well as just anywhere in Florida. So I think that's a big thing that they're doing there. Yeah, and certainly, and it did shift their schedule to where their Thursday, Friday, Saturday operations are now uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday operations. They did not gather on Thursday to practice or do anything, um, but they do get to you know conduct walkthroughs and can you know kind of work as though they were on a normal game week schedule, as if the game were on Saturday from this point on. Uh, really won't lose too much. They got to practice inside the uh, the indoor facility there, so. You know, hurricane aside, I, I think that they should be pretty much on track as if it were a normal game week going into this Eastern Washington game. Yeah, for sure. I don't think this week is really, uh, you know, going to be affected too much. It's just, you know, the kind of the day off that's going to, you know, kind of be weird for some of the players and coaches in terms of how they normally go about things. But next week should definitely be interesting in terms of are they going to get Monday off? How are they going to get back into the building? How are things kind of going to roll with homecoming against Missouri approaching pretty quickly as as they have a game on Sunday? So just kind of feeling that out, seeing how that kind of all unfolds next week as Napier and co. try to, to hurry the week with, you know, that game being uh, sooner than usual. So I think that'll really be the thing to watch um, regarding their preparation from the effects of Hurricane Ian. Yeah, and when it comes to the football side of it, this is kind of where we can dive back into that third um segment is they we've seen a couple of depth chart changes in the past couple of weeks whether it was due to injury or not I I believe the first substantial one that wasn't due to injury was Desmond Watson taking over as the starting nose tackle for Jalen Lee and and of course there was Scooby Williams and Shamar James and their involvement at middle linebacker as Ventrell Miller was injured Uh, we had three on Wednesday night when they released the injury report. Really, by the first release, it was four because D1 Black wasn't in his normal spot as the third-team linebacker, but there was a correction issued about an hour later to put him back in there. Uh, But still three on the defensive side of the ball. So whether it's due to injury or not, I believe they are you know, identifying the issues through four games, through especially the big road test against Tennessee, and trying to mend them. And obviously we've yet to see what it's going to look like on the field. And we don't know if this is necessarily going to be the long-term approach once they have their guys in, if they want to give them more chances. Uh, But before we dive into the moves themselves, Brandon, I'm not sure how you feel about it necessarily. I get the feeling fans find it extremely refreshing. uh, And I tend to agree with them. You know, I think in a year like this where you already have your two losses and again are on the outside looking in to, to put it, nicely for the sec east it's best to start experimenting with 
the pieces that could be the future of the team rather than ones necessarily that are nearing the end of their time as a Gator and just aren't contributing to the level they should be considering that they're at that point in their careers. Yeah, it's a, it's a you future takeover as as uh <laughs> you know, they like to coin with their hashtag on on Twitter and any social media, but obviously, you know, you're getting kind of the young guys in here. Um I mean, I'm just going to go out and say it. Trey Dean's the biggest one. Obviously, he's listed with a lower body injury um this week, so you got you see a former borderline five-star and uh safety stepping in and Kamari Wilson to fill his spot, which is for many people a uh, uh, breath of fresh air like you said wilson was one of the he was the guy in the last uh transition class for florida and now he's getting an opportunity to be a contributor immediately and that can only help florida's defense after you know some some blunders from um you know his his predecessor last week and and throughout this season both in the run game and as as a coverage man so i think just having that kind of refreshing outlook on you know this in the secondary as well as you know, you're getting Justice Boone in for Princely, Princely Uman Mielin, who has been, you know, uh, kind of the guy that Napier's – they, they've both been uh, in the conversation for guys that have impressed this new staff. But just trying to throw some different things in there, get some different looks, and trying to kind of see what works in the grand scheme of things. Um, Boone is someone that, you know, he's been a really flashy as a pass rusher this season. Maybe they're trying to get after the passer a bit more against Eastern Washington just trying to see if that can, you know, him getting more reps can, you know, kind of help them in that area. Princely, who was supposed to be kind of that big pass rusher for Florida off the other edge of Brenton Cox, has been more of a run defender. So you kind of have guys that are going to um, just rotate in for different situations and things like that um, for just this season in general. But especially going forward, as like Zach said, um, some of the veterans aren't contributing at a rate that many people believe that they should, especially the staff. So you're going to get these new guys in to build them, not just for the rest of this season, but going into the years in, you know, next season, season after and building toward what Napier and co hope is a return to their level of uh, excellence at the university of Florida. Yeah. And another two along to go with Wilson um, at safety. One is Donovan McMillan, the sophomore, yeah. more of a big bodied safety that was, um, in hindsight, one of the better looking evaluations of the Mullen campaign coming out of Pennsylvania, not somewhat, not a place where Florida tend to get much talent, although the hit rate was high because Kyle Pitts also out of Pennsylvania. Um, he's listed as the co-first teamer with Kamari there, and he's expected to contribute as well. Um, the strengths of their game are almost, even though they're different types of athletes, kind of similar. I think we both project them to be pretty strong playing downhill, which is, as you mentioned, Dean kind of struggled in the run game. Sometimes he was a hard hitter, but oftentimes wasn't necessarily in the gap he needed to be in or pursuing correctly. And I think Wilson and McMillan can both offer an upgrade there. What I want to see is is how they're affected in coverage. Neither have been tested very much. I think Kamari has been tested one time gave up a catch for six yards. McMillan's had like one defensive snap all year, so it hasn't happened. But I'm very curious to see how they match up. Um, McMillan being a guy that's, I think, 6'2", 200, would love to see him going up against tight ends. And you could really say the same thing for Wilson or maybe even having a matchup against running backs out of the backfield because he's a very great athlete. Uh, there's another one that Billy Napier mentioned by name, uh, true freshman Miguel Mitchell. He's a player that we might end up wanting to watch at safety as they look to fill in Dean snaps. Uh, again, it aligns with the idea that they want to try the young guys. He was a player that 
Napier evaluated, uh, Patrick Tony evaluated and ended up getting to commit and sign with Florida over Tennessee at the end of this past cycle. Um, there was another move as well, and it's not so much aligning with the younger guys, but Jaden Hill. Last time he played for Florida was December 31st, 2020, the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma. Uh, he tore his ACL the following August in um, in fall camp. He had a, I guess, some sort of second injury or a setback this past summer after he participated in uh, spring camp and missed the first four games of the season in all of fall camp as a result. He's back. He, we've seen him warming up with the team for the past two games, but not take the field for a snap. And now the redshirt sophomore is listed officially as the starter opposite of Jason Marshall. Again, he's a redshirt sophomore. So even though he's been with the team for this is his fourth season, he technically could have another two seasons. So he could be kind of a mid to long-term player here. If he bounces back as Billy Napier projects, he will. He said he was one of the standout players to him back in spring camp when he was on the field. So uh, Brandon, I know that you've evaluated Mitchell quite a bit. Uh, if you want to expand on what you think his usage could be, uh, as well as McMillan, um, and then you know your thoughts on Jaden Hill as well. I mean, I think his story is phenomenal, I, and most fans know this. But if not, you know these weren't the only two knee injuries he's had. He tore his opposite ACL from the knee he recently tore it in back. I think it was his senior year. It was either senior or junior year of high school. So. You talk about someone that's just been through it and consistently fought back. I think that's really a perfect example of what Billy Napier wants from this football team. And that's why, in addition to his skill set, Napier really seems to love the guy. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with McMillan here and kind of work my way from the top to, you know, further down in the secondary. But uh, McMillan is someone that, even though he hasn't seen many snaps defensively this season, I feel like his name has been called many, many times when it comes to special teams. He's uh, known for being kind of a rangy uh, safety back in high school when he was playing, you know, in Pennsylvania. And he's carried that to Florida. Um, he's someone that can cover punts, cover kicks, and he just makes plays on the ball. Uh, he gets downhill fast, is able to kind of pack a punch when he is, um, you know, making tackles and things like that. He is the special teams ace of this sort of unit. And so if when he gets on the field as a safety in replacement of Dean and rotation of Kamari Wilson, you'll kind of see a lot of what he does working downhill. And I think he'll be someone that can be rangy as a coverage man. I think that, you know, he's kind of an instinctual ball player. He's going to go out there. He's not going to, you know, line up man to man, but he can make some plays in zone that can really help Florida and their ability to kind of make sure that no one gets behind them as they did as Tennessee did, especially Brew McCoy last week. So I think just kind of having McMillan back there will be a, a welcome sight for um, Florida as well as, you know, Florida fans. And I, I know, um, you know, there's uh, probably a lot from McMillan that's kind of hoping that, you know, he can make the most of this opportunity, um, especially having only played one defensive snap this season. And then you look at a guy like Miguel Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell is, you know, you look at McMillan and you're saying, oh, this is a pretty – well-built guy. He's someone that can be a bigger safety for Florida. And then you look at Miguel Mitchell and you say, oh, this guy's even bigger and he can be even more, you know, more downhill focused and kind of make these plays uh, downhill against the run. And I think as a result, you'll see him kind of bounce between that star position as well as that safety position for Florida um, back and forth in rotation with not just Kamari Wilson and McMillan, but also Trevez Johnson and Jadarius Perkins. So he'll kind of be, you know, someone that they kind of use as a Swiss army knife in that uh, 
secondary rotation, which is exactly what they told him they were going to do when they were recruiting him. So if he's able to kind of assume himself and kind of find his way within this Florida defense in one of those spots, Florida could be in a great position going forward as they have someone that can not just play uh, the vital star position, but that he can be a rotational guy at safety if they need, if need be. Um, and then Jaden Hill, obviously, like Zach said, is someone that is his story is if he's able to come full circle and continue performing at a level he was when he, before he went out um, with this, this gruesome knee injury, that would be best case scenario for Florida. Cause that just strengthens that secondary even more especially the cornerback room, which is, you know, something that Corey Raymond's trying to rebuild as one of the best in college football. Obviously he has Jason Marshall jr. On the opposite side, who's going to be able to take away some, you know, that part of the field. Cause he's, clearly the cornerback one in this group but if hill uh and then you also look at avery helm and devin moore on that other side as well as jalen kimber you have a rotation a bevy of guys that are able to perform at a really really high level for florida which gives them so much leniency to be able to just throw guys out there and make you know all of them having the ability to make plays both uh against the run as well as in coverage so Florida secondary with this movement of youth um, and, you know, also bringing guys back should be, you know, vastly different from what we saw against Tennessee in the coming weeks. Certainly. I'm, I'm certainly excited to see it as well. Uh, You talk about the cornerback room and I agree. I think it honestly with Hill back, if he's able to play at full strength, it might be the most stacked position on the team. And we're starting to see those kind of slowly emerge because Back in fall camp, we really couldn't have answered what that was besides maybe the running back room. And we still needed to see more from a true freshman who's coming in and playing in Trevor Etienne. You still wanted to see him produce on the field before you truly say that. And now you're talking about a legitimate five deep cornerback room. That's that is pretty impressive. That's exactly where they would like to be. And hopefully Hill can provide that and also hopefully, you know, can get his career back on track because he certainly is a really talented defensive back. I think he could be a potential NFL guy if he's able to come back in and play for a while and prove that the injuries are behind him because he can play at a high level. We've seen it before. Uh, Brandon, I, I don't know if you've got any other positions where against a team you know, like Eastern Washington, and I guess we can't take it lightly because we saw what happened with USF and, and we personally you know, took that kind of lightly. Um, but assuming this game goes the way it should, in addition to these moves that we've seen on the depth chart, is there anything else you'd like to kind of see them experiment with? Like I can think of two. Um, I'll leave one for after you go. But the first one I immediately think of is defensive end Chris McClellan. I, I think he's had very limited opportunities, but had, I believe the most of his four game career thus far against Tennessee I think it was around 18 snaps. I'm stalling because I'm typing his name into pro football focus to check it out. Yes. Career high 18 snaps and two weeks in a row. He's been one of Florida's highest graded run defenders. And obviously that's not an easy task for a freshman defensive lineman in the sec. Um, He's created one pressure that came in the Tennessee games. We've seen bursts of him contributing in multiple ways. We talk about a position that needs players to you know emerge as good depth rotational pieces and stack the room i think chris mcclellan you know in a rotation with jervon dexter or if he's moving to the other end or they're doing different packages where they change the defensive lineman alignments 
he's a guy that should be pretty versatile at his size, could shift inside and out at 6'3", 305, and clearly looks like he can disrupt the game in you know against the run and the pass. So he's one player in particular that in a game, I hate to say in a game like this, but in this game, and potentially moving forward, if he can handle his responsibilities in this game, I'd like to see his role grow. I think he could be another one of those young freshmen who who has carved a role on this team, a significant one out, uh, because they certainly need that. Without a doubt. And I don't think it's it's too much to say that Florida's looked its best as a run defense when he's been on the field. I feel like we've seen multiple times over the past few weeks when he's getting snaps, Florida's run defense is stout, especially in the middle. Because he's kind of playing, you know, obviously he's a defensive end, but he's still playing closer to, you know, that three tech that we were expecting from, you know, Gervon Dexter before he said that he was going to move out to the defensive end. Uh, McClellan is a kind of, you know, he's able to be that versatile piece. As you said, he can play inside, he can play outside. So if having that guy in the middle to really anchor down a spot next to Desmond Watson, Florida's interior is just massive. I mean, there's not really anywhere, you know, any other word I can say that really encapsulates what that means to have two guys that are not just big, but agile, and they're able to kind of fill these holes with consistency. Um, so if you're having those two guys be the pieces that Florida needs them to be to rush to, you know, clog these holes in the middle to uh, combat against these rushing attacks that are just gashing Florida week in and week out, then McClellan is a perfect pick for someone that you know should see more time um, definitely more than the 18 snaps he saw last week and I think that continues to ramp up as the season goes on as well as a lot of the other young talent that will you know we're seeing uh, more and more of each week uh, and another position I'm going to flip to the offensive side here real quick um, that I'd like to see a bit more from um, it, you know maybe it's not a rotational aspect but I think offensively obviously you have the wide receivers they are what they are there's not really much that you can do um, until they get those reinforcements in next season. They have a very good wide receiver class coming in, but for now, I think that you clearly have the top three uh, in Ricky Pearsall, Justin Shorter, and Xavier Henderson. I think those are the clear guys at the top. And then you look at the running back room. Um, Montrell Johnson and, and Naquan Wright and Trevor Etienne have been very stop- solid. Obviously, last week they took a they took a dip, but. They've all been, you know, had their moments this season. I think the biggest thing for me um, in that skill position room is the tight end group. group. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of Dante Zanders and Keon Zipperer, but we haven't really seen much outside of those guys. Um, I know Nick Elks- Elksness last, you know, offseason was someone that was earning acclaim for what he was able to do um, in, in, you know, spring practice and going into fall camp. He was kind of being that piece that people thought, you know, uh, oh, he, you know, Kyle Pitts is gone now. We can have this guy come in and be a pass catcher. Obviously, not along the same lines of Kyle Pitts, who's an anomaly within every tight end, uh, you know, coming out of college outside of maybe Brock Bowers, who's putting up ridiculous numbers for Georgia right now. But you're just seeing these guys, um, you know, in, in this tight end group that could be better than it is right now, not getting snaps on the field. So I think a guy like Nick Elksness could get in there and make some plays. I've been a huge believer of Arliss Boardingham, who's now back from. His shoulder shoulder injury this offseason. So you're just kind of having these guys, you know, be pieces that, you know, haven't really made impacts to this point, but can go forward and make impact if they are able to see the field. So, you know, you can find guys at this tight end group um, kind of build on what Keon Zipper was able to do last week, at least in the passing game. 
um, and and me be these safety valves for Anthony Richardson to find when he gets in trouble and be those con- you know consistent pieces for him to continue building off of impressive performance last week. That was going to be my other one was the tight end room. And I was going to say the same guy as you were because, yeah, Keon Zipper had you know, really the play of his life and it, it turned into the game of his life, I think, during his yeah. time with Florida this past week. And it was good to see. And we've seen Florida toy with 12 personnel a little bit, but they definitely aren't running it to what we expected them to at this point in the year. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's at, even at like from what I could tell. Yeah. And it's even like they haven't even done it to a point of what they said they were going to do it. Like it wasn't right. like our expectations were built off what they were saying. Like, okay, this is going to be our base offense. They haven't, they haven't shown that this year. Right. And, and I think it's just, it speaks to the room needing, you know, reinforcements and development. And in fairness to Elksnick's Elksness, he, as well as Jonathan Oda missed a lot of the spring um, due to injuries to their shoulders uh, to various degrees but I really expected both of them to contribute this year in different ways. Elksness, again, is the field stretcher, and he saw, I think, four snaps against Tennessee was mainly used as a pass protector. I'd like to see him used as a receiver because, that again, that was supposed to kind of be the strength of his game. And maybe this is a game where you can kind of toy with that. Uh, Odom, meanwhile, is someone that you kind of, you know, he's got the bloodlines from you know, his dad to be a blocker for the university of Florida. And that's kind of how he was always viewed as a prospect as a blocking type of tight end. So, you know, even though Xanders has been able to contribute in some ways and was kind of the story of the off season, we're not seeing a ton of production there. And again, we know what this offense wants to look like in terms of tight end usage. So again, it just feels like one of those times where you can kind of experiment with certain positions. And I agree with you. I think that's certainly one that we would like, to see them toy with a little bit. We, I believe, are you know kind of running long on time here. I haven't been able to check the clock, but I think we've only got one thing left. Florida versus Eastern Washington. Unique game being on a Sunday. Uh, certainly a unique environment right after following a hurricane and, and testing where each team is, you know, mentally. I'm, I'm trying to pull the line up here, Brandon, but we don't necessarily need to give a score prediction again, but I'm curious for what you think the result of this game will be. And especially keeping the, um, the USF game in mind, you know, we, we did expect that to be much more of a game leading in Florida's favor. And it truly came down to the wire to only be a three point win for the Gators. I can't find the line. I don't think bet online has it listed right now because of the postponement, but I would imagine it is a double digit line. Florida's pretty clearly favored. Do you think that this is the type of game they could cover? Do you think we could see maybe not a repeat, maybe not as drastic as the USF game, but again, a game where they struggle a bit more than we anticipate them to, or or do you think this could be a blowout? I, I, I don't even know exactly where I think it'll be at this point. Yeah, honestly, I can see it going both ways. Uh, obviously, I think there's going to be a lot of young talent on the field, so we could see some miscues that may not have, you know, be indicative of what this Florida team is. But do we really know what this Florida team is over four games? I feel like they've played a, they've been a different team all four games. So we really don't understand like what Florida does it does well at this point, and which is odd considering normally you have an identity in week four. Uh, and, and going into week five, I should say. So Florida's still up and down right now. So 
Um, I think that the opponent gives them an opportunity to kind of, you know, be productive in a way that allows them to cover. Um, but without knowing the line, without kind of knowing what Florida is right now, I, I'm not going to kind of go on record and say, oh, Florida's covering. And then they come out with a 45 point line. And I'm like, all right, what was I thinking? <laughs> so it's just it's just not something I'm, I'm comfortable doing right now. But sure. I do think Florida kind of handedly, you know, is able to take care of uh, Eastern Washington on Sunday. And they kind of show flashes from some of the young guys as well as some of the older guys. Um, Anthony Richardson continues to, you know, build off last week's performance, playing loose and, you know, picking up yards on the ground as well as making good decisions over the middle of the field. Uh, doesn't have too many turnover worthy throws or, you know, kind of make decisions that put Florida in a bad spot against Eastern Washington the same way they did against USF. So it's going to be an interesting game in terms of there's, you know, it's a, it's a long week. Um, we, you know, postponements have thrown things out of whack a, a bit. You know, they got off day to, you know, on Thursday, they're rolling into Friday with, you know, kind of what would normally be their, uh, their, uh, their Thursday. So it's just kind of all, all crazy, but I, I do like Florida to um, take care of business against Eastern Washington. I don't see, we, I don't think we see another Florida looking over, uh, you know, a team that might not be on the same scale of where Florida um, you know, is from a talent standpoint as well as just a team in general, a program. But no disrespect to Eastern Washington either. They're, you know, they they have been one of the better teams in the FCS for a while. So yeah. Yeah, they certainly have. And I think that Florida's probably learned its lesson when it comes to looking over teams. Uh that I mean, I remember it pretty specifically that against USF, you know, Napier was pretty consistently saying, you know, tons of respect for how this program operates. They, we, they put up a good fight, but we were able to edge it out and win and we should be proud. Paraphrasing, of course. Whereas Montreal Johnson came out and, you know, again, paraphrasing was like, nah, um, we should have won that game by much more. I mean, you know, I think it kind of speaks to the team realizing that, hey, that's not what Florida versus USF is supposed to look like. And we need to correct those kind of games moving forward. And with that, I do agree with you. I do think they come out and handle business against Eastern Washington. Again, couldn't find a line with Bet Online nor the Sports Illustrated sports book. So I'm, you know, as a company man, not going to venture outward. Uh, won't say whether or not they will cover either. Like you, don't want to look like a dummy. Uh, but I do think they come out and win pretty handily. Um, I could see them honestly winning by like, let's call it 17 points plus. At this point, I think Anthony does build off of what was a really good showing this past week where he does seem more comfortable passing, throwing, allowing both features of that game of his game to kind of open up the other. And, and as a whole, again, we saw it maybe not to the passing, the great extent when it comes to passing, at least against USF, but we saw efficiency. And then, of course, we saw a dynamic showing with his with his legs. So they can kind of build off of each other. And with that all being said, I, I think it comes together and really elevates the team as a whole. Yeah, for sure. Um, and before we kind of wrap up here, I just want to give a little shout out to Montrell Johnson um, and, and kind of just, you know, Zach mentions how he kind of said that, you know, this isn't a game that should have been this close. Um, definitely shouldn't have came down to one of the last plays of the game, but still shouldn't have been a three point margin for Florida to be able to pull it out against USF. Um, and then I think just the way that he's able to carry himself throughout this season shows that what, you know, Napier had at Louisiana Lafayette, where Montreal Johnson originally came from 
is something worth, you know, kind of remaining around for because Johnson is really unlike any other Florida player that we've seen in quite some time. Um, And specifically, I know when he scored on Saturday to give, you know, kind of put Florida back into the mix, um, there was a point where, you know, he had guys coming over to celebrate and kind of, you know, hype him up or whatever. And he just kind of pointed back to the sideline and kept running, understanding that this game, like we are losing, we are not going to celebrate as if, you know, we just tied it or are up just kind of seeing his, his mindset of like being a, a team player and, and trying to win as a, you know, on a different level of just performing well individually, but trying to kind of be that, you know, final outcome guy. I, I was impressed with how that kind of transpired. And I think that can be something that kind of tricky, you know, trickles down into other parts of the, of the team. So even though he hasn't been here for a while, even though he didn't perform at a power five level, he's performing as a power five caliber talent, both on the field as, as well as how he carries himself from a leadership role. Dare I say it, Montrell Johnson is, uh, is not the type of guy that would get up and celebrate after tackling someone for a first down. I mean, like, I don't mean to, I sound like an asshole, but I think again, it's the, it's this idea of the culture that Napier is trying to build here where stuff like that's not happening, where they're not breaking out a turnover chain like they did during the scrimmage game, uh, where there's an honor to the game and an, uh, you know, accountability to faults. Uh, Montreal Johnson is a perfect example of that. You know, he's hard on himself when he had that fumble in the first game. And that's all he could think about the rest of the game, even though he played well, all things considered against Utah Um, and the loss to USF and how even coming from a way different program than Florida, understanding what nearly losing that game meant. You know, I, I think it's a perfect testament to the type of identity that, Napier wants this team to have. Uh, I think that he's truly, as a result, a building block, um, not just from on the field production, but also off the field leadership ability. So I, I, I second your toast to him. I guess in yeah. That sense. I just, I just couldn't let the the show go without kind of you know bringing that up, especially after you mentioned his his take on USF. I think he's someone that understands like Florida, you know what Florida's trying to accomplish moving forward. And he's kind of, you know, someone that embodies that identity that can start moving into different players as Napier gets his pieces into the program. So just kind of having what he's, you know, been able to do, not just against Tennessee when he told his teammates to go back to the sideline because they were down, you know, two scores still, but also having the, you know, uh, the understanding of, oh, we don't, you know, we're not in a dogfight with USF. That's just not how it works. You know, we're, I'm not, you know, fumbling on the, my first touch uh, of the season. That's not, you know, the standard I hold myself to. So I was just I'm, I'm I've been very impressed with uh, Montrell and kind of um, the direction that he's kind of trying to lead this Florida direction, you know, Florida team. And I should say um, in his early stages, just as a sophomore, which Napier, I'm sure, is just elated about being able to get him back for at least another year, if not two, uh, to really push this unit forward into what he envisions as the University of Florida football program. Without a doubt. I um I think we are able to let the show go on that note. Um, with that, thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of the Believe in Florida Gators. Again, make sure to go and check out our sponsors at Bet Online and use the promo code Believe50. Uh, 
go ahead go over there and use it and uh, place your bets. Maybe you'll be able to find a line for this Florida versus Eastern Washington game before I can. I know I have to have it by Sunday morning so I can write a story about it. Uh, you guys can check me out on Twitter again for all of my written work as well as this pod at Zach underscore Goodall and my new co-host Brandon at It's B Carol. Brandon, thank you for joining me and we will catch you guys next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube